tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, everyone. Before we get into the episode, I just need to talk to you really quick about a couple things. Um, So as you know, our last episode was postponed because we were working on a big project, which I am now excited to tell you is live. And it is a open letter from a group of over 50 Harry Potter fandom creators asking HBO not to make the Harry Potter TV show that they've announced that that they have in the works with J.K. Rowling as an executive producer. Um, It is a petition. We need every single person who is listening to this to sign it and then to get all of your friends to sign it. We're trying to create a world in which being transphobic is um, bad, is something that companies look at and are not like, let me make you an executive producer. So whether or not you care about Harry Potter, please care about this petition and go sign it and read the letter and, um, you know, get your friends to sign it. Our absolute bare minimum goal is 10,000 signatures, but like we need way more than that if we're going to make, make HBO uncomfortable. So anyway, that's at bit.ly slash no HPTV. And aside from that, I just want to let you know that everything that we've been releasing on the Gaily Prophet, which is now a Two Queer Nerds Talk About Media We Love podcast is now going to be coming out on a feed called The Gaily Planet. So, you know, if you don't follow The Gaily Prophet because you weren't a Harry Potter podcast listener, that's totally good and fine. And you don't have to have, you know, four years of Harry Potter podcast episodes in your feed just to listen to our new stuff. You can sign up for our new feed and only listen to us talk about the new content that we're putting out. So go follow The Gaily Planet. It should be available wherever you're listening to this right now. Yeah, so that's all. And we can now get into our second to last episode about Wayward Son. Hello and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches talk about Wayward Son by Rainbow Rowell. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount. Uh, and today we are talking about chapters 56 through 63, because this is the climax of the book, y'all. And uh, next time will be our conclusion of uh wayward son coming up the stunning conclusion of wayward son (laughs) (laughs) in a world where major okay i don't know where it's going there anyway uh so since we're covering several chapters with many pov all alterations i'll turn that's not the word i want i'm just gonna go through this as it happens uh and so 
Let's start off with what Agatha, Penny, and Shepard are going through in these here chapters. Uh, we pick up with Agatha and Penny, where we left off in the last episode, where they are tied up in the back of Brayden's car, their mouths glued shut, and they are still stuck in this magical dead zone because they're in the middle of nowhere, desert, Nevada. Only, they also happen to be near Burning Land, which, since there's... 50,000 normals, and I'm sure a few mages getting wild out there. The area is no longer quite a dead zone, and Agatha knows at least one spell she can do without her wand or her words. And what do you know? Vampires are hella flammable. So with Penny's help as a conduit, she sets the motherfucking vampire in the car on fire and subsequently the entire car. Thankfully, Shepard... Gets, has gotten away from the vampires in time to drag Penny and Agatha out of the burning car and to cut open their mouths. Gross. Mm. Meanwhile, Baz drags Lamb into the fight as soon as the guns go off. And whoops, turned out Lamb betrayed everyone because he has a deal with Brayden that any mage found in Las Vegas goes to him and the next blood vamps leave Vegas alone. After a pissing match between Lamb and Brayden, one of the next blood vampires chops Deer Shepherd, which backfires spectacularly and is enough of a distraction for Baz to rip off Brayden's jaw because he's fucking pissed because he thinks the love of his life is dead. I'm totally inserting like cheering sound effects as you say <laughs> that he rips off Brayden's jaw just for the record. <laughs> I have it in all caps in my notes because it is a very important. It really is. Okay, please continue. Yes, Simon's been shot, but thankfully just wounded. And as soon as he gets up, this fight is fucking on, in all caps, on. Agatha and Penny are casting spells, which turn all of the guns into farm equipment, which Simon then used to cut down vampires like straw, metaphor, pun intended. Baz can use his wand again at half capacity, and he's like, fuck all these tech bros and lamb, who... Baz let's unlive. Our fearsome fivesome is winning, and we get to the end of these string of chapters with Simon literally sweeping Baz off of his feet and into the air. Yes. Hell yeah, we do. Excellent end. It's so great. Um, listeners, we are spoiling the rest of the book, but also the rest of the next book. Um, and with that, we're going to enter Easy Come easy go where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else i want to start by reading a prepared statement (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) because in our last episode i said the following regarding vampire thrall baz previously told us that he was pretty sure it was a myth but turns out it's not a myth Mm -hmm. and i would like to issue a formal apology for missing the opportunity to say but he was myth taken Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry to all of our crossover Simon Snow Buffy fans for missing missing that joke. I know. Please forgive me, everyone. I am I am so sorry. Um my first thing is that uh 50,000 weirdos in the desert saved the day. God bless Burning Lad. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I felt actually like that that moment where Agatha is like, I wanted to experience this thing that's like so magical without actually being magical. And then she's like, oh, fuck, it's it is magic because 
that's where magic comes from. I don't know. I thought that was really good. That's it's really clever. This whole ending is just like really great and cleverly constructed. It's really good. Yeah, I'll have to have, I have I did and I remember when I talked to you last, we were supposed to record this a couple days ago, listeners, and I did a like hyper-focused deep dive into Burning Man. Mm. <laughs> so I have a lot to bring to the table about this. Nice. All right. <laughs> My next actual thing, though, is why are all of these next blood vampires dressed like they walked out of an Aria? <laughs> I know, that's my next thing, too. I think it's so funny and also must feel so humiliating because, like, I can't imagine a worse feeling than being, like, cut down by dudes dressed like <laughs> <laughs> right everyone's wearing like i don't know zip off like space tech age pants and ski visors and you're just like what what did you think that you were preparing for it's so nerdy in a bad way dorky it's so dorky yeah it's extremely square <laughs> yeah 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 um i think it's so funny that the one uh, next blood vampire refers to Shepard as an NPC. <laughs> oh my god, that's literally my next thing because of course they, of course they fucking do. It's so funny. <laughs> um, my thing is. Wait, no, what was your point on it? Oh no, just just that of course they refer to them as NPCs. Like, just at least normals and speakers it's like you're still a person it's like uh, and for folks that aren't video game people npcs is non-playable characters so just like background essentially in video games and it's just like of course you just don't think of normals as people they're just i think okay fair but like i i think what makes it really funny to me is that what a thing to be able to say with a straight face <laughs> Yes. You know, like it feels like it's fucked up, but also again, like so incredibly dorky that I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like all of these vampires think that they're LARPing and it's like, I don't, I'm not sure what kind of situation they think that they're LARPing in, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So we have an argument between Lamb and Brayden and some of the other next blood vampires. And I like how you can really tell how frustrated Lamb is talking with Brayden. And it's like he's arguing with children. Like seven-year-olds. And I mean that in the like, I'm envisioning that's the most spoiled, hyped up on sugar seven-year-old you can envision. That's what, and Lamb is trying to... <laughs> from his perspective, have a kind of a like meeting of the minds, but I'm just, but he's just like, you're their fucking leader. This is your fucking vampire crew. Are you fucking kidding me? I know. It feels almost like Brayden is Lamb's like five years younger brother, you know, who's like, yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm in middle school now. Like I'm, you should take me seriously. And Lamb is like, I am about to start college. Like, please shut up. <laughs> Yes. Uh, 
my last thing here is Baz's line, go ahead and shoot me. This isn't my favorite shirt. Feels like a Kendra from Buffy reference to me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I feel like th- thinking about all the things that are happening in this in these string of chapters, it feels like a Buffy end of season big bad battle. Yeah. Uh, my last thing is, I love the bit when when bat when Baz realizes that there's enough people for there to be magic and he pulls his wand out and starts using it where one of the vampires like wait that kid leveled up and it's just <laughs> really funny to imagine being like wait brayden this kid can do it and then but they get like ripped in pieces or like simon beheads them and it's like lol yeah yeah the fact that he like stops mid attack on lamb to be like oh bro you did it <laughs> just, again these dudes <laughs> it's like uh, deeply silly but it also made me laugh a lot <laughs> yeah i just feel like this is such a like these are the people that like are in charge of destroying our society right now and they're so so unimpressive <laughs> you know? yeah yeah i really if if nothing else comes out of 2023 it is that r- rich people who are in control of things are deeply boring and terrible. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with being boring, but it's like people put these kind of folks on pedestals and it's just like, I think if you put someone who, if you, if you went into a diner right now and pulled a waitress and put that person in charge, it would be better. Oh yeah. Be real. So yeah. These folks are the worst. They are. They're (laughs) absolutely awful. Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development. Um, Agatha having a reckoning. Agatha saves the fucking day. That's like she literally. Does. That's like my. That's like my note for her. It's like she's like she is the fucking hero at the end of this book. Right yeah, now. and like we start our first section with her, where she's like. I've been in so much danger and I never learned how to save the day. And then she does save the day and it's... Yay! (laughs) I know, it makes me so happy. But she's also... The whole thing where she's like, I left magic. And now she's like, I I am magic. Like, you can't... It's not a place. You can't walk away from it. It's part of who I... Like, my being. Um, Yeah. You know, this is... We saw all of our other characters sort of having their crisis moment um in the last uh episode that we did and now we have agatha having it but hers is much more like positive you know it feels like a nice realization that she's coming to and like it's not gonna you know take her out the way that penny and simon and baz's recent reckonings have well i think i also wonder if part of it is that penny and simon and baz kind of have to I like playing catch up to like Agatha, who was already like, you know what? I fucking fuck magic. Fuck all this noise. I'm going to go to California and not use magic and live my life. Mm-hmm. And then she does. And then it like, you know, all this situation, this, ha- sh- this shit happens. And she's like, running with my problems. Actually, that's not that's not it. I can't just leave magic like it is. I am carrying like I carry magic with me. Uh, and like for our 
for our trio, they went on this vacation to sort of have a like getting out of a rut of being a young person. And so are kind of getting what I think Agatha has sort of been experienced over a long period of time, a very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Like the timeline of this book is like, what, like a week, if that? Yeah. It has not been very long. Yeah. Yeah. No, no more than like two weeks tops. No, because I mean, they were going to drive from Chicago to San Francisco in three days and they've only stopped to sleep twice, I think. I think yeah. they might stay two nights in Vegas. So yeah, I think it's been like four four days that they've been on this trip. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to talk about Penny a little bit. Yes. I really love seeing a character who thinks the way that I do about perilous situations. Um, because she says, I'm worried that they won't kill us promptly. And I feel like that's something that I identify with so much. Like whenever I see, you know, characters who are in, in on TV, whatever in books where they're like suffering so much and being like tortured and whatever. And they're like, please don't kill me. I'm like, but Why? But why? You know, like, you know that you're very unlikely to get out of this situation that you're in. So what are you hanging on to? And I feel like when I'm like, I'm not afraid of death, people are really confused. But I'm like, I'm really afraid of suffering. I'm like deeply afraid of suffering. And I would much rather avoid suffering (laughs) if possible, even if that means dying sooner. So Yeah. 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 I think. And this is good. And the first, like. And since I watch a lot of horror movies, I'm like, yeah, there are just some situations where it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to survive that. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If the options are being like kept in, you know, captivity by bro vampires and experimented on or like killed, I definitely on Penny's team where I'm like, oh my God, I hope they just like take as much blood as they need and then do away with me. Please don't make me stay locked up in your terrible bro prison forever. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really at that point, it's just like, could I swallow my own tongue? I feel like she like comes very close to dying actually in this in this scene uh, from just like asphyxiation. Yeah. Good thing Shepard is there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what else do you have about Penny? I actually don't have anything else for her. Okay, I want to talk about Baz's little description of Penny that we get because I think it's incredible. So he says, Penelope Bunce is a fierce magician. I've never minded saying it. She's just escaped from handcuffs and a flaming car. She's casting spells without her wand in a dead spot. Harry Houdini himself couldn't top it. She's amazing. I don't know. I I just love her. Yeah. (laughs) And just the... The brilliance of like swallowing her gem. So just she is a wand now. Yeah. Excellent thinking. Right. And then like between her and Agatha, I mean, who are both magical. Yeah. They're just, yeah. The bit where it's like they're like holding hands and just using their other hands is like fucking flamethrowers. Incredible. Where is our, where is our comic? Where is our graphic novel? Where is our 
10 season HBO television show. Fuck you, HBO. Uh, I oh want to see that they happen. Have such a better idea for a series for them than the one that they're currently planning. I know. Ugh. But then, but there isn't a, there isn't a Simon Snow theme park for people to go to and to have renewed interest in. Anyway. Womp womp. Okay. I just want to close out by just, uh, taking a moment to notice what it says about who Shepard is as a person that he tries really fucking hard to save this vampire who dies from trying to bite him. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shepard's well of uh, empathy. Pretty deep. Yeah. What a good, what a good dude Shepard is. Yeah, Absolutely. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about things that are fucked up. Take it away. Bass is a really rough, is having a really rough time in these chapters. Lamb has just betrayed him uh, because for some reason, Bass did not clue under the fact that Lamb only cares about vampires and not about any, anyone else. Yeah. Um, and he thinks that Simon just got murdered. By a bunch of dudes with guns, which, I mean, do they have assault rifles? I mean, that is, unless you're magic, it's really hard to not be murdered by it when someone is shooting at you with an assault rifle, yeah. unfortunately. And yeah, and so, of course, Baz is like, you know, I'm burning this shit, this shit down. Fuck all of y'all. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. His, uh, the trauma response that we see him having is like visceral the way that you see like his brain bouncing around the processing that he's doing the you know very illogical yeah yeah when he's like i don't think i told simon that i loved him in a way that matters and i'm like well i know i know um yeah and i think also interestingly up until this point, we only see Bats with his fangs out when he is eating, mm-hmm. which is a thing that he, up until this point, didn't think he could control. And I think, I feel like he's, like, using his teeth to tear out chunks of Brayden and other Vans. Like, he's just like, oh, I'll show you a monster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm like sad for him that that's where he's at. But like, also for me as a viewer of this scene, I'm like very happy for me that I get to see Baz just fucking rip Brayden apart. Like, literally. Yeah. So. Yeah. Simon also having a very... response to everything that's going on where he's just like i gotta get up because my job is to die fighting that's what i gotta do um i've been binging the mandalorian over the last like week and (laughs) like it was reminding me simon was reminding me of Taika Waititi's droid in The Mandalorian who just repeatedly is in every scene where something bad is happening is like, I got to self-destruct now. 
because manufacturer <laughs> protocols state that I can't lose. And like, the Mandalorian's constantly like, stop it, don't self-destruct. And he's like, I don't know, I just got to self-destruct now. And it's like, Simon is basically doing that. He's like, oh. my manufacturer protocol states that I cannot lose. I have to self-destruct now. And it's... That is what's happening. Yeah, it's really terrible. Yeah, and then me, and like, he's also just like, wait, Penny and Agatha are in that car that is now very much on fire. And it's just for a minute, everyone is like, everyone that I love is dead. And it's like, right. oh. But only for like three seconds. And then you're like, nope, everyone's alive and we're fighting. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, I actually really love this fight scene, which is very rare. Usually in a book, if there's a fight scene, I am reading like one sentence per paragraph until I get through it because I'm bored. Um, I think it's because we're in first person for these and we're jumping, we're getting different people's POVs, but like, we're getting this through an emotional space as opposed to top down. And I Mm -hmm. think it helps me feel engaged. And also we, you know, because we're getting it through an emotional space, we don't just hear Baz tears Brayden's jaw off. We hear Shepard's response sort of like shock and awe to baz tearing brayden's jaw off and that makes it better yeah i also think what makes this a much more engaging fight scene is that we're not getting like blow by blows we're getting like something like from baz when he's just like Simon has a blade in his hand and no vampire can top Simon with a blade, any blade. And so there's not, we're not getting a blow by blow of like Simon skillfully lopped off the head of this vampire and that vampire. Like we're, we're getting Baz's admiration. And then us as a reader, we can just fill in whatever cool shit we think Simon is doing. Or in reality, it's like, you're off doing a cool thing, like zoomed out, like fuzzy background zoomed out. And like Baz is here watching and being like, that's right. That's, that's my boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you can focus on things like, you know, uh, Agatha and Penny holding hands and using other hands as a flamethrower. Like I can imagine all kinds of cool, like, and like, I don't need a blow by blow of like what is happening to who and to what. Yep. which I think in a less skilled writer can just be like, I'll have a blow by blow. It's like, I don't need that. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know that it's even just a less skilled writer because I find the fight scenes in the Lord of the Rings to be very boring. And I think that Tolkien is a very compelling writer. Um, but I'm like, this is, Oh my God, this is too many pages. Like, unless it's, about trees tearing up a city i am not i am not engaged i'm like give me <laughs> one quarter of the information that you have given me i like the parts where we see like legolas and gimli being like comparing their kill counts that's fun yeah. but when we're yeah. just top down like boom 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 and then this and then this i'm just like i don't i don't care also i can't i can't follow it a lot of times too i mean that i think that's interesting because i you know since I'm reading the golden compass, I think about the fight with Yurik and the other bear. And like, I'm like, that's a really well, it's like between two bears, but you're like really engaged in that fight. (laughs) And it's like one and a half pages. I think it's very, it's pretty short. Also jaws getting torn off. Maybe this is a reference. (laughs) I was like thinking about that. I'm like, you know, who else's jaw got torn off? (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, I want to talk about this treaty that we find out between Lamb and Brayden, uh, which is incredibly fucked up. And obviously, you know, we get we get up to these chapters where like, wow, how is Lamb going to betray y'all? And then we find out that it's like, oh, this was all part of the deal in the first place. And like, you know, this is really the downside of U.S. mages not apparently even having a community newspaper or whatever is that if a bunch of mages disappear from Vegas, a, like one of the biggest tourist attack attraction in America, like who's going to know? Right. No one. And so, right. Like who knows how many mages have been handed over to Brayden? Probably not very many considering lamb despises him, but it's like, Oh, this is the real reason you guys haven't, you haven't gone to war is that you have an agreement, even though you literally hate this dude and you think that he is, like, a threat to all vampires. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they could have handed over maybe even any, given how excited they are to have Agatha. It kind of feels like she's their first mage victim. Yeah. So I think maybe, potentially, Lamb didn't expect to ever have to do anything with the treaty. You know, was like, if you see someone casting magic, no, you didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Because, again, people disappearing from Vegas puts an unnecessary spotlight onto their activities. Right. Especially if, you know, it's just like a, you know, 19 year old mage goes there for spring break while they're in college and then never comes back. Like their mage family is going to come trying to figure out what happened. Yeah. And if there's a trail that leads from the Vegas vampires traded my child to these tech bro vampires that's not going well for anybody right but yeah i mean i guess on top of being incredibly shitty it's just like oh of course you guys have a treaty of some kind you know yep um even though it's like next blood is clearly a threat to your lifestyle but you're like can't rock the boat i don't know don't want to go to open war with this guy and the fact that it takes Four mages and Shepard to take all these people down. It's like, it wasn't, it wasn't, like, I don't say it wasn't that hard because obviously Penny and Agatha and Baz and Simon are like, I mean, Simon is a child soldier. Like, he knows how to fight to win a battle, you yeah. know? And Baz and Penny are the the two brightest witches of their age, so. Right. And I'm like, and you're telling me that out of all of the Las Vegas vampires that Lamb has in his territory... In the territory of Las Vegas that it I guess it just seems like Lamb didn't want to get his hands dirty at all or anyone else's hands dirty to take out this very serious threat that when it came down to it, like, right, five college students took out these these vampires. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very, you know, ineffectual government kind of behavior that lamb's got going on so yeah not not at all uh doesn't at all parallel any <laughs> contemporary political issues at all no of course not welcome to caught in a landslide where we rant about stuff I'm just still so mad for Agatha that she didn't get to go to Burning Land. <laughs> I am also really upset by this, um, especially after doing my doing my deep dive into 
what burning IRL Burning Man is like. Uh, I think she could have had a really good time um, and obviously not been tortured and <laughs> kidnapped. And I think, I don't know, a lot of people on the internet says that it is a life-changing experience. And I'm like, I kind of, I want that for her to just experience, I don't know, hanging out in the desert and helping people out and looking at cool, weird art, you know? Yeah. yeah. I I feel like people who love Burning Man it yeah it's one of those things that like becomes your entire personality kind of sure does uh, like rock climbing (laughs) yeah the amount of things that i looked up in my deep dive that was like here are things that are made that are created to help people go to burning man or flourish at burning man that are created by people who love going to burning man Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i was like oh this is a whole little this like whole like cottage industry but like not a cottage industry because it's like it's not a cottage industry because since there are, I think, a lot of not only like your artist types, but a lot of like tech people. So it's not just here's some cool lights for your bike. It's like someone who's like selling these like fancy tents that like are made out of material that NASA uses for some reason that are like uh, that are a thousand dollars and are really easy to put up and will keep you cool if you're staying for a week in the desert, which is what Burning Man is. And I'm like, right. so in like just, a, it's its own little world. It's very fascinating. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk more about that later, but yeah, I want that for Agatha. Yeah, me too. To this point about Agatha should have gone. I was also thinking about how many tech people, terrible or otherwise also go to Burning Man and it's sort of interesting to think about Agatha might have met Brayden at Burning Lad anyway, mm. if she had gone and maybe he was not so focused on trying to get magic. Cause I'm, I feel like he is the kind of tech person, like the neck, the next blood vampires are the kind of tech bros that go out to Burning Man, but they have someone else put up their tent and they have like air conditioning and they don't share it with anyone. And they're just like, I'm just here to do drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of folks who would also, I'm sure, want to get the attention of attractive young women. So. Yeah. I don't know. It would have been much easier for him to, for her to blow him off at Burning Man then. Yeah, it would, it would have been much easier it would have been much harder for her to be kidnapped because it seems like the whole, one of the whole vibes of Burning Man is like building community and like looking out for the community and like not trying not to be a shitty person to Mm -hmm. the land and the earth and to your neighbors and stuff. Yeah. Uh, And tickets are very expensive. So at the very least, Ginger owes Agatha like $1,500. Oh my God. So I've bought cars for less money than that. I mean, it does go for a whole week. Yeah. You do still have to bring all your own stuff. Um, cool. This vampire that has Penny and Agatha in the car is like taking selfies with his kidnapping victims. <laughs> what a look. Oh my god. He sure is. That's sick. Oh my god. I I feel like there's a lot of terrible white dudes who video record themselves on YouTube doing 
where you're just like, where are you? What are you? What? Yeah. So I can't say I'm shocked about that dude taking selfies. Oh, yeah. It's wild, though. So gross. Yeah. And it's okay that he's terrible because he gets lit on fire immediately. Yep. Sure does. (laughs) Uh, I only have one more thing. Okay. Uh, Which is... When we're in Shepard's POV and one of the vampires has him, like has a gun pointed at his head and he's like giving out his personal information. Like my mom's name is Michelle with an eye. She like is a teacher. And like, what about you? I actually found that really fascinating because I feel like I've seen and gotten similar advice as a lady in the world, if you're like ever kidnapped or in a situation where you're like, this seems like it's maybe a little shady. And it's like, have the person who's with you make, force them to make you, make them think of you as a person. Right. Essentially. So to have this like, says male character doing that exact same thing. I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen. (laughs) I feel like it's like very novel and it doesn't quite work on, but I just, it's interesting to see him do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I've seen it also in the context of um, like, you know, not hostage negotiation, but like mediation type situations where you're like talking someone down from a situation. And I feel like it makes a lot of sense. I bet in Shepard's, you know, monster seeking groups online, they do a lot of sort of different kinds of self-defense training where yeah you know because he's interacting with a lot of things that could just like kill him really easily so or potentially want to eat him you know yeah that's a way of killing someone yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) so good for him and we and now we know some things about (laughs) shepherd Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. This is like, I feel like on a scale of like 1 to 10, like 1.5. But I don't know. I think it's a little sexy to rifle in someone else's pockets. And I know it's like a life or death situation. But like, yeah, Penny is like reaching into Shepard's pockets for his for his pocket knife. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, you know, just. Yeah getting a little close that's great <laughs> yeah um you know what since you made this section happen i'm gonna really quick think up our first kiss kill improvise in a long ass time have we done lamb and brayden and, and kiss kill improvise nope so your options are obviously lamb and brayden who's the third one it's gonna be The dude that dies from trying to bite Shepard. <laughs> wow, this is hard. All right. Um, I think kiss lamb, kill that one vampire that has Shepard, improvise with Brayden, a.k.a. figure out how to rob him blind. Mm, clever. All right. Um, And for anyone who's like joined us for this book and is like, what is this thing that you're doing? It started in Carry On. There's a point where 
Baz says that he wants to knock Simon down and then kiss him, kill him, improvise. And it was a fun thing to do back when we had more characters coming in and out of the story, but then that stopped happening, so we haven't been able to do one for a while. Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science and Burning Man, apparently. And Burning Man. (laughs) Let's talk about this dead zone logistics. Let's do it. Um, I know we talked about this previous because it's kind of like, it seems weird, but okay. And... This becomes a plot point where it's like, oh, yeah, all the people at Burning Lad means this isn't a dead zone, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Also a choice because it's like, yes, they're in the middle of the desert, but it, I guess it just seems weird because, I mean, there's like 50 vampires with lamb. And so there's like you have you're like this, this huge group and obviously all of the folks at Burning Lad, which if this is model after Burning Man, is like a, a very temporary, like a lot of people in temporary city. But also, it's still Nevada. It's not like there's like, it's hundreds of miles without hitting people. I mean, there are, in, you know, indigenous folks that live in Nevada or in more rural parts of Nevada. So I guess I'm just... The science of this seems a little bit convenient for the plot, I guess. I mean, I think that this this piece of the book is why the whole Quiet Zone thing is in the book, I think, was just so that this could happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know exactly where they are. Here's what I think. I mean, I find that I don't love the like Quiet Zone thing overall. I think we've already talked about this. Yeah. Um, It seems to be a population density thing. So if there's not, you know, a town nearby, then there, I guess, 50 people wouldn't be enough. Maybe vampires stop creating magic after they get turned. Who knows? Yeah. Um, If we're thinking about it like an ecosystem, which I think is how they want us to think about it, right? I think Burning Man would be the equivalent of water being trucked in from somewhere else. Yeah. So you go from having no water to having water and that water is temporary. You use it up and then it's gone because there Mm -hmm. is no functioning, you know, water cycle. It evaporates into the air and it doesn't come back as rain because that's not how the desert works, you know. So I think that it, it makes sense in that way and i think i mean i don't know how much time you've spent driving in the desert but like in a lot of like nevada arizona california when you're in the desert there are like signs that are like get gas now because if you don't you will not be able to for 120 miles so i think there is enough empty space that it would be that it would make sense for there to be a dead zone given the logic of how these quiet zones work yeah i mean i guess i think to your point i'm also just kind of not a fan (laughs) yeah because i've never i guess like to me it this makes it seem like the analogy is water as opposed to something in 
the ether, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Something more maybe amorphous. I don't know. Because I don't know. We don't know what, what effect the humdrum, you know, the after effects of the humdrum are. But if it's like, well, if you bring in enough people, then the magic comes back, then you should be able to like restore Hampshire by just like having a big festival <laughs> and maybe maybe that would work who knows maybe yeah. penny's dad should try that <laughs> uh just yeah just have a have a you know uh outdoor music festival in uh baz's old home see if that, <laughs> see if <Yeah>. that helps <laughs> um all right so we get some spells uh we get e2 brute which what would that do I'm assuming it's a stabbing spell. I'm assuming because, uh, okay, I've only seen, I think the, because this is from Shakespeare, it's from his play Julius Caesar, um, where a bunch of them stab Caesar. Yeah. But I'm he says it to one of the people that stabbed him. I mean, I get, I'm. He's like, you were my friend. Like, you also are part of this conspiracy. I mean, I guess I don't know because it could be it could be some kind of defense spell to prevent maybe being stabbed more in the back. Yeah, I guess I don't know what happens after he says that in the play. So maybe we would need that information to totally uh, I know. Should have looked that up. Um, and then we get swords into plowshares. What a fun spell! Fucking love it. Yeah, uh, straight from the Bible, from the Old Testament, I think. Um, and, uh, we get a good description of what a plowshare is. I did have to look it up and it is basically kind of like a giant spade. Yeah. So, and yeah, no, what a great spell to get rid of guns. If only, (laughs) please, please cast this. I really, yeah, (laughs) I really love that. It's also I like, I don't think it would have turned the thing that Simon is stabbing people with into a plowshare if it was still being used for its purpose as like a walking stick or whatever so the spell is like turning anything being used as a weapon in that moment into a plowshare and then i fucking love that simon's like that just looks like a big axe to me <laughs> just it's, keeps on fighting he's like great <laughs> all the vampires are like oh no and simon's like i've got this yeah <laughs> <sighs> Oh, I know. It's so great. Um, and we get off at their heads, which I didn't do any research about because it is from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, I try to do research about fuck off and die, which is the last spell we get from Baz. And I had a really hard time finding a origin of this. Um, obviously, this... There's like a Green Day song. I was about to say that. Um, and it looks like there is a me like a punk or a metal album in like the early 90s called Fuck Off and Die. Um, but I could not find a like, this is the first time someone used Fuck Off and Die for it to be uh, in the lexicon enough for Bass to be able to use it as a spell. I even like try to go on like the Oxford English Dictionary through through the library to be like fuck off and die, and it's like we can't, we don't have anything for you, and I'm like why? <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, been around since at least the '90s. So yeah, 
Also pretty straightforward. Um, okay. Twice here, Shepard is like, can vampires grow new eyes? And then Baz is like, I'm tearing pieces off of Brayden, even if he can grow them back like a starfish. And I need to know if this is a thing. Like, is he regenerating them as Baz is tearing them off? Does it take a while? Does that actually happen? Do they just grow new parts? Like, what? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it depends. Like, maybe if it was like an ear, something that's just like mostly there's like flesh and cartilage, it would grow back. But if it was like a finger, maybe not. Or if it did, it would just take a long time. Like, Baz ripped Brayden's jaw off. Is like, it's not, is it growing back? Like, what? I know. I need to know. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this too. Like with Buffy, just wondering if, for instance, Spike got in a motorcycle accident and just was horribly injured the way one is after a motorcycle accident, would he keep, you know, being immortal and keep being alive just with, I don't know, half a face or like his skull crushed or would it heal eventually? I feel like with Buffy, it's hard to say because unlike in Buffy, the movie, we don't see vampires that, are missing fingers or limbs or anything. And we we know canonically that the one thing that's capable of leaving a scar, like say Spike's eyebrow scar, is some kind of blessed weapon. So maybe if it was in front of a church or into a churchyard, yes, but any other time maybe he would just heal from it <laughs> with enough blood. <sighs> Fascinating. All right. That was my last thing. Wait. So you saying that is is Brayden dead in this chat in these chapters? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Because up until this point, I assumed that he was, but now that you're saying that, I'm like, wait. I think if he got lit on fire, he probably is. I'm curious about the fact that Baz also is like a fireworker canonically, and that he sees Penny and Agatha using fire to fight these vampires and isn't like, oh, that's a great idea. I also am very good at summoning fire. Let me just throw fire at these dudes. That is so true. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'd also be remiss to bring up that Shepard almost gets got by a vampire. <laughs> he sure does. And that vampire promptly is... Killed by some weird, oily black smoke. (laughs) Yep. Or is killed and there is a residue of oily black smoke. I'm not sure that that's cause of death. Yeah, it's a little confusing. Yeah, I wonder what that's about. Yeah. (laughs) As of right now, Shepard can't get murdered by vampires, at least if they bite him. That's cool to know. Yep. (laughs) But I think that, you know, he does need to worry about being blown up by a car or whatever it was that he was trying to escape from because I think he can regular die. He just can't die in a way that affects his soul, I think is what we learn later. Yeah. All right. You want to tell me about Burning Man? Yeah. What, what do you know? I feel like I'm on, I feel this is what happens to listen to too much. Like you're wrong about, what do you know about Burning Man? (laughs) Um, I know that it's a big, like, art 
and drugs festival in the desert where people are really cute and nice to each other, but also on a lot of drugs, um, which might help with the being cute and nice to each other. I think there's also like sober camps in there and there's like lots of little like villages that people make. And I think there's music and it sounds really overwhelming and they burn a big effigy at the end. That's what yeah. I know. All right. So, so, yeah, so Burning Man's been around since like the 80s, but as of right now, it's the sort of contemporary incarnation is a lot of what you describe. It's like uh, for a week in the Nevada desert, it's a, they build a whole like essentially temporary city where people are like, uh, are creating art projects, have like themed camps. Uh, there is music. Um, and obviously people are also going out there to do drugs and like look at art and like listen to music and stuff like that. But what seems like really cool about it is that, so they have like 10 tenets of like what Burning Man is all about. And it's like, and it's very much a like, we're coming out here to like do our own thing and support one another. Like we're all like pitching in. Uh, we're self-reliant enough where we don't need to be selling anything. There isn't anything except for ice for sale at all during Burning Man. And so a lot of the like online stuff is about how it's not a festival. There's not like corporate sponsors or, or there isn't like stuff for sale. Like you go and you like sort of curate your own experience kind of deal. And there is also uh, an area for your kids because people bring their whole families to Burning Man and is like kids programming, which is really cool. And what's also really great is that they have this sort of like leave no trace policy because they're, they're just in a stretch like acres and acres of desert. That is, uh, I think a federal park, federal land of some kind. So yeah, so everything they bring in gets like trucked out and there's like a dedicated, it's very well organized. It's sort of kind of the punk joke about people thinking that anarchy is lighting things on fire when it's really just like endless meetings and like reading a bunch. Yeah. Uh, I feel like Burning Man is definitely part of, it's like kind of that, on that like anarchist ethos where there's a bunch of different committees that are like helping to run Burning Man. And one of them is making sure that everything, everything that has been driven in to the land that they use is taken out so as to not disturb the like local ecosystem um which i think is admirable of them yeah actually anyway yeah <laughs> justice for agatha she should have been there she should have been there she would have had a great time it could have been she could have gone in with some cool art folks and made weird art and been and just had a had a good time taking some mushrooms would have been great yep Fuck you, Brayden. <laughs> For real. Uh, cool. We did it. We did it. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next time we will be reading the rest of the book. Yes. It's going to be great. Check the show notes for all the things. And until next time. Scott